Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Samuel chapter 19. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Samuel 19, this is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Now Saul told Jonathan his son and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. Now therefore, please be on guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial, beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. And Saul vowed, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these words. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in the presence, in his presence as formerly. When there was war again, David went out and fought with the Philistines and defeated them with great slaughter, so that they fled before him. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the harp with his hand. Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence, so he stuck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be put to death. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went out and fled and escaped. Michael took the household idol and laid it on the bed and put a quilt of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. When Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me on his bed, that I may put him to death. When the messengers entered, behold, the household idol was on the bed with the quilt of goat's hair at its head. So Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michael said to Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I put you to death? Now David fled and escaped and came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Nioth. It was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Nioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. But when they saw the company of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing presiding over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. So Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came as far as the large wall that is in Seku. And he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? 
Someone said, Behold, they are at Nioth and Ramah. He proceeded there to Nioth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also, so that he went along prophesying continually until he came to Nioth and Ramah. He also stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we look into your word that you would feed us again. Father, you have been so gracious to feed us on your word over the course of our Christian lives. And Father, we're back to, to be nourished again, knowing, Father, that we are sinful, that we often go our own ways and need to be corrected and brought back. And so, Father, I pray that this word would work on us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. All right, so a little review as we get into this. This section begins a new section where David is is essentially going to spend the rest of his life as a fugitive. Or at least as long as Saul's around, he's going to be a fugitive. He's going to be running from this to that. He He's going to be living uh, outside of Israel. He's going to be living among uh, the enemies and even prospering there. But uh, this is the beginning of that life on the run. David and Jonathan, you remember in early chapter 18, David and Jonathan have a depth of friendship a, and have taken an oath of loyalty to one another in a sense. But you remember that, that Jonathan took off his... His, um, his princely garments and gave them to David. And that marked sort of him relinquishing his rights to the throne and giving them to David because Jonathan was Saul's son. Uh, Michael, uh, you remember that Michael is to be a snare. That's what Saul hopes that Michael will be, that Michael will be a snare to David, a trap, something to cause him to depart from the Lord. Uh, Saul is now, um, it seems, dead set against David, even though there, there seems to be a, a brief moment of respite in this passage. Saul, you remember, the spirit has departed from Saul, and he's being afflicted by an evil spirit from the Lord. And again, that evil spirit comes upon him in this passage, but also the Holy Spirit is back working on Saul in a strange way at the end of this passage as well. Um, and so, uh, but, but mainly, uh, we would say that um, Samuel the prophet and the Spirit of the Lord have turned away from Saul. And so what we see in this passage is a whole, uh, a, a number of people interceding on behalf of David. So this is a chapter of intercessions, uh, people who come along and, and protect uh, people who come, someone who comes along whom the Lord protects by means. And so the, the first time we see this is when Jonathan intercedes on behalf of, of David, right? Saul has commanded everyone around him to do what to David? What's Saul's end game? 
nothing but death, right? He wants him dead. He wants David dead. And notice that in the first verse, Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all his servants to put David to death. Uh, Jonathan had just uh, been yoked together with David. And uh, their, 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 their future had, had come together. And here now, right on, on the heels of that, Jonathan is told to ki- by his father, the king, to kill David. Jonathan, though it says, greatly delighted in David. There's that friendship, there's that loyalty, there's that commitment to one another that comes out. Um, why, why does Jonathan greatly delight in David? We talked about this before. Um, it's not some sort of, as, as today it's read, the only time you can greatly delight in anything or love something, it's, it's erotic or romantic. It's not like that. The, this, is the, this is Holy Spirit wrought love. This is the sort of love that we have toward others who love God, right? The love that we have toward others who love God and who love his church. That's the sort of love here. Jonathan saw David destroy the enemies of God. Jonathan saw David go forward with faith. And if, if David's going to honor Jonathan's God, then Jonathan is going to love him, right? So should we with anybody who loves God. We should delight in those who love God. We should delight in them. And that's why, that's why, um, that's why, that's why church is home, Right? That's why church is home and Thanksgiving meals are torture, right? Because you have people around the table who only, you're only related to by blood, but not by the spirit. And so it's very difficult that you can't have this. I mean, you want this intense relationship, but they're not people who love God. And so there's only so far you can go in your affection, right? And that's not being mean. That's not being heartless. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit. So Jonathan greatly delighted in David because David loved God. And, uh, I mean, look at verse 5. When, when De- Jonathan goes to Saul and says, look, don't kill David. Don't do this. What does he point toward? He says, for he took his life in his hands and struck the Philistine and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Right? He did this. God worked through him. And Israel was delivered. It was glorious for all of us. And you rejoiced. You rejoiced in God. And now you want to put him to death. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? Jonathan is an example of us of something very hard that the Lord Jesus said. Jesus said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10, 37. Jonathan could have been devoted to his father with a blind sort of love. To the exclusion of a love toward God. Right? But, his God, but his father was godless, and so he yoked himself to David. And so he who loves father and mother more than me 
Um, Clearly, Jonathan loves the Lord above anything else. Jonathan has nothing to gain, remember, and everything to lose, in a sense, by following David. He's got everything to lose. He's the prince. The king is his father in power. It's danger. And and following David is, is all risk. But when is it wrong to do what is right in the sight of God? It's never wrong to do what's right in the sight of God. And that was right in the sight of God. Follow a wicked man or follow a godly man. That's an easy choice when you boil it down to the essence, right? He, it is never wrong to do what is right in the sight of God. When following God, right means giving up an earthly kingdom. It means giving up certain relationships. It means giving up uh, certain prestige and wealth at times, right? Um, and so Jonathan here is an example of what Jesus taught us. Um, Jonathan is also bold. Think of how bold he is in the face of his father. He's, look at the words he uses. Um, why will you then sin against innocent blood by putting to David to death without a cause? That's, he's confronting his father. This is going to be sin, and you have no reason for it. Um, I don't know, but I would imagine it was uh, risky to question the, um, question the commands of the king. Uh, and so here, Jonathan is willing to call out his father. Uh, verse 6, Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul listened to him. How long? Not very long. He listens to him and also vows, right? He makes a vow that he's going he's gonna to follow Jonathan. As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. As the Lord lives, vows this, and in, in his subsequent actions then, we see that he hates God. If he's going to make a flippant vow before the Lord God and then immediately change his mind in a pretty aggressive way, right? Try to, try to stick a spear through, through David. Open up your Bibles, guys, if you're having a hard time following along. Open your Bibles and follow the passage. It helps. It will help you stay awake at 6.30 in the evening, okay? Um, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Um, you know, let's let bygones be bygones. I mean, spears and all. He's already tried to spear King David once, and he's willing so quickly to set it aside. So David returns to Saul's house. I mean, again, David, perhaps that took more faith than it took to uh, stand before Goliath, right? He had already been almost killed by this man, and now he's going back into his house to be the musical therapist to the king. Playing the harp when the evil spirit comes upon King David. And then more trouble comes. David is winning, as Donald Trump would put it. He's winning. He goes out to war. He wins. He uh, He went out, fought with the Philistines, defeated them with great slaughter, and all of them fled before him. So David's going out and um, winning battles, taking ground, 
and what is happening to Saul. The evil spirit is returning to Saul. Again, the contrast here is great between the one that the Lord is blessing and the one that the Lord has departed from. The evil spirit from the Lord, um, the demon that we remember, we say the demon that was under the direction of God, how we explain that. The demon under the direction of God is on Saul. And his vow, now we see, is very meaningless. The spear makes for David's head once again. And David escapes. David escapes, and, um, and so he flees out and escapes that night from the presence of Saul. So the first intercession we see is, is Jonathan's. Now Jonathan, Jonathan sobers up his father, but his father turns on him. The second one who intercedes for, for David is Michael. And this is a lot like, like the story of Rahab. I mean, there are a lot of parallels between this and Rahab, letting down from the wall, and, and, um, and so we see some parallels there, but um, Saul is, is so intent on killing David, again, he commands all around him to murder, to murder him. Um, Michael then does what? Michael warns him. Now, remember, Michael loves David at this point, anyway. Michael loves David. And um, said, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be put to death. So Michael let um, David down through a window, and he went out and fled and escaped. And Michael took the household idol and set it up on the bed and put a quilt of goat's hair at its head and covered it. So there's this deception. You see these parallels between Rahab and, and Michael. The spies are let down. Mike, David's let down. There's this deception in order to... to um, put off those who are around him. And, and so Michael helps him escape, uh, cons the messengers, and um, uses those idols in perhaps the best use that they've been put to up to this point. And then Saul says, Why have you deceived me like this? And let my enemy go so that he has escaped. Michael, you have let my enemy go. Uh, the king's enemies are are God's friends at this point. The king's enemies are God's friends, God's chosen men, God's anointed. And so the enemies of Saul are the ones whom God is for. Uh, This is not the way it's supposed to work. The king's enemies are supposed to be God's enemies. The king's enemies are supposed to be Israel's enemies and the nation's enemies. But now the king's enemies are the ones right closest to him, those that perhaps he should be relying on and leading the most. So this is not the way it's supposed to work. He was to have as his enemies, God's enemies, the oppressors of Israel. Remember, that's why he was raised up, to get rid of the oppressors of Israel. And now the enemies are the godly ones. Um, there's bitter jealousy here, right? How, how many of you have, gr- have, have grappled with envy? Children. How many of you have grappled with envy? Have you ever envied what somebody else has? Have you ever envied somebody's uh, somebody's um, personality? Just they have an ease of talking to people. I always envy people who can who can talk easily to people because talking to people to me is is like wanting. It's I'd rather almost die. It's like so, you know, and I'm a pastor, so. 
go figure. Um, strangers particularly, okay? But, but envy, envy, right? Envy can eat us up, these bitter jealousies. And so um, do you think that, do you think that jealousy could consume you? Do you think envy could just consume you? That it could take every, I mean, it could become every thought of every day. Some of us have experienced that, right? We have just lived envious. We've seen somebody who has the comfort we want, and we don't have anything near it. And all we do is loathe and become bitter toward that person for what God has blessed them with, right? What God has given them. God's blessings become to us just a a bitter curse. And that's what's happening to Saul. This envy of David is consuming him. He wants this man dead, and he's going to search high and low, right, through all the land of Israel in order to put him to death. And, And it's consuming him. It's consuming him. Think of the examples of of this consuming jealousy that we have in Scripture. Can you think of other examples of consuming jealousy? Consuming bitterness. Cain. Cain is, Cain is the one that I think of. And what does it end in? It ends in death. Right? Cain kills his brother Abel. And why? Because God had more regard for Abel's offering than for Cain's. And that ate ate Cain up. And so Cain Cain dealt with it. Judas, how's Judas an example? Yeah, I mean, he's jealous. He's jealous for, I mean, it's so pathetic. He's jealous just for a little money. For 30 pieces of silver, he betrays the Lord for, um, and because he was one who loved money, he used to pilfer from the, the, the money that they had for their supplies and um, uh, willing, willing to betray the Lord Jesus Christ to death for money. And so terrible. So again, death is the end of that, that betrayal and that jealousy. Seems like bitter jealousy, consuming jealousy, always ends to some extent in death. Um, jealousy, jealousy leads to bitterness. Uh, Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men. Think of that in regard to Saul and David. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Now there's a man who, who for a single meal gave up his inheritance. Right? But notice what it says, that, that, bitter, that, that bitterness can spring up and it causes trouble, and by it, what? Many are defiled. Many are defiled. The whole kingdom of Israel is being defiled by the bitterness of Saul right now. Um, the whole kingdom. So kill jealousy before it takes root. Um, be content. Children, you are constantly running from one envy, one jealousy to another. Kill that so that it doesn't take root and you become a bitter person. And because your bitterness will then defile many around you. 
bitter people spread their bitterness everywhere. Everywhere. And Saul is certainly doing that. So learn contentment. Prize Jesus Christ to the diminishment of all else. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yes, rejoice in God through an un... (laughs) You can rejoice in God through an unfulfilling marriage. You can rejoice in God in poverty. You can rejoice in God in, in great physical pain. And that is the antidote to becoming jealous and envious and then bitter and then hateful toward God, right? What's, what could Saul have done in re- regard to David, right? He heard those songs, Saul has slain his thousand and David has slain his ten thousands. What would a godly, what would godliness cause in you if you heard that song and it was your name in there? Well, you... Could you rejoice with those who rejoice, right? Could you say, well, it's the enemies of God that we were both slain. And that's, that's good. I want the enemies of God gone. So I've killed a thousand. That's not bad. But he's, he's killed 10,000 and that is good. That is good. It's not a competition between me and David. It's a competition between the God of Israel and the, God, the, the false gods of the Philistines. So whose glory do we want? Do we want God's glory? Or do we want the Philist- you know, our own glory, our own individual glory? So think about your envy in that sense. Um, your envy is, is just trying to elevate your own glory and you're losing sight of the glory of God. The Spirit uh, teaches this, that um, you know, it's the Spirit that teaches this sort of selflessness. It's the spirit that teaches this, uh, that gives this ability to overcome envy. It's only the spirit. The, Saul, Saul did not have this ability. He did not. And so we, we too, I mean, this is another thing to learn by Saul's example. Do not expect unbelievers to exhibit contentment or any kind of godliness, any kind of ability to overcome envy and jealousy. Um. I mean, that's the fuel of capitalism, isn't it? Envy and jealousy. I mean, on some level it is. It can be put to God's good ends. But um, the, the, un, the, the unspiritual man has no way to govern this jealousy and envy. And so you can expect that his, his actions will be motivated by these wicked things. Okay? Um, Michael's statement to Saul. Michael then says to Saul, what does she say to Saul? Saul says, like, why did, you, why did you let my enemy go? What does Michael say? She sort of lies, it seems, or maybe she doesn't. Maybe David threatened her, but it, we don't get anything in the story like that. Michael's statement to Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I put you to death? And so Michael's sort of sort of protecting herself from Saul at that point, protecting herself from a wicked man. Um, what, what else, uh, what choice did I have? She's like, what choice did I have? I mean, I had to let him go. He threatened me. Um, how, how can, uh, he, he, you know, he can be a difficult guy, can't he? Um, so so that's, that's what she says. 
And then, and then David goes to Samuel. We haven't seen Samuel in the story in a long time. David goes to Samuel, and what does David do when he gets to Samuel? What does he do? He prophesies, but what does he do before that? He just downloads on Samuel, right? He tells him all that has happened, right? Because Samuel has anointed him. He's been with Samuel. He's talked with Samuel. He's eaten with Samuel. And so he goes to Samuel, this prophet, the prophet who had been commanding Israel and was rejected by the people for Saul. David goes to him and says, here's what's happened. Here's everything that's happened. And now, so we saw Jonathan intercede, we saw Michael intercede, and now we see the Holy Spirit intercede. And it's more powerful than the intercession that we've seen up to this point. Um, Nioth means dwellings, and it, it apparently it's, it has this feel of a prophetic community led by Samuel. It's like a school of the prophets, and Samuel is the, the headmaster. And um, so three groups of men get caught up in the spirit, in the spiritual worship. And they don't succeed in their task. Why did, why did, they, why did Saul send these men to Samuel? Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, and then later David fled, came to Samuel. It was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Nioth and Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. Right? So these messengers are to just forcibly take David so that Saul can, uh, can chop his head off. And what happens to them? The Holy Spirit intercedes, and they begin spiritually worshiping, prophesying. Um, and that is the way in which they don't succeed in their evil plan. <laughs> I think it's great. Saul himself then goes, and what happens? Saul, the man who has been overcome by the evil spirit uh, on, on command from God, goes and he gets caught up in the spirit. But... Um, He's, he's gripped by the Spirit, it says. Then he himself went to Ramah and came as far as a large wall that is safe you. And he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, behold, they're at Nioth. He proceeded there, and the Spirit of God came upon him also, so that he went along prophesying continually until he came to Ramah. And then it says he also stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay down naked all that day. And all that night, therefore, they say, is Saul among the prophets? And then verse 1 of 20, Then David fled from Nioth and Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my sin? And what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? So what does the Holy Spirit do to Saul? Strips him naked and has him lying on the ground unable to do as he came to do, which was come and kill David. The power of the Holy Spirit working on this man in order to intercede for David. And what does David? David takes off. David has time to flee. And so, so you know, God... Um, this is not the first time also that Saul has prophesied. Saul prophesied before, you know, and the last time he prophesied, it led to his confirmation as a king. It led to his confirmation as a king. Now, 
it ends with him disrobed and and being disrobed as a king is just complete, is symbolic of the removal of his authority as king. He's just laid naked by the Lord. And David escapes. So God intercedes directly by the Spirit. Um, yeah, um, here, here's uh, one commentary commentator said this again about this this idea of God protecting and interceding providing the way of escape is supremely the work of God true he may use human instruments a Jonathan or a Michael to provide such protection but sometimes he bypasses them in order to make clear that salvation is from the Lord the means of deliverance must never eclipse the source of the deliverance. And sometimes the deliverer makes that point abundantly clear. So he's saying it's so clear that deliverance comes from God, especially when he works in obvious ways like that. That's the point of this. He said it's abundantly clear. So the agents of David's deliverance are Saul's, you know, think of that too. The agents of David's deliverance are Saul's son and daughter. Saul's son and daughter become the agents of David's deliverance. They, he has lost his own household um, as, as is right. If they want to follow God, they must forsake their wicked father. Um, one, one last thought as I was working through this um, passage. Are you content with God's protection? If you lived a life where it could just be characterized as God protected me, would you be content with that? Um, and the reason I ask that is because some of us are adrenaline junkies or some of us are drama junkies. Some of us want, we want a life that is like shoals for half of it and then smooth calm ocean for the other half. Um, would, you be, would you be content with God's protection? Would that be enough for you? Or do you need adventure and danger and great rescues? So you will live on the edge and seek for miracles. Live on the edge and seek for miracles so that you can test God. Right? There, there are many people who are tempted to live in that way. They won't just simply trust in God and rejoice in his just everyday protection. And so they'll live on the edge for a while and then and, and they're tempting God in a sense. They're tempting God, saying, God, rescue me if you can. Um, that should not be. Um, be content with the simple protection of God in your life. Live simply. And rejoice at all the ways that God has made his provision clear for you and has protected you. And that way, what are you living for? You're not living for this ridiculous present life. This ridiculous, short, present, unfulfilling life. Okay? Just rejoice in God's protection and live for the life to come. Okay? Fix your mind on things above. Fix, fix your mind on what is to come. And don't get so caught up in the here and now. Just join, let's, all re, let's all calmly, calmly together 
suffer through the miseries of this life together. It's terrible. Okay, it's terrible compared to the glories that are going to be revealed. And so be content with the protection that God has given to you, what he's given to you every day, the simple things, and, and be, be done with fixating on this world. Be done with trying to find, find pleasures that are lasting in this world. They don't exist. Okay, that is all for the life to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for we thank you for David and his faith that he shows, Father, for the work that you did in him to make him a man who loved you and desired to honor you above all things. Father, we pray that we would be like him as he was like Christ. Father, I pray that you would give us uh, contentment in your protection. I pray that we would, we would rejoice in the simple days that we have. Father, where it's just us in your word, doing our work, and then going to sleep. Father, we, we know that even in that, you've given us thousands and thousands of different protections from, from evil spirits, from, from evil men, from our own flesh and temptations. It's an unceasing amount of protection that you've given to us by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the reminder of that and the way that this Holy Spirit protected David. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.